Hello and welcome to the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In today's episode, I just wanted to take this chance to catch you up on all the things that we've talked about over the course of season two on this podcast. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft, the podcast where we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. I'm your host, Maggie Hazeman. So episode nine is the first episode of season two. It was all about kitchen witchery. So if you're interested in the magical potential of the mundane preparation, cooking, and eating of food, then you will probably enjoy listening to episode nine where there's some practical and useful information surrounding practicing kitchen witchcraft. So now I'm just going to play you a clip from this episode to give you a hint of what we talked about. So we're going to talk about what it means to actually be a kitchen witch. And the main quality of a kitchen witch is that you incorporate magic into preparing and eating food. So any meal or kitchen creation that you create in a kitchen (laughs) that is done with intention for a specific purpose, that's kitchen witchery. There are many other practices that can be involved in kitchen witchery, but the main thing is this, that you incorporate magic into this process of cooking. So a kitchen witch may or may not grow some or all of their food in a garden or a farm or in a um, in a pot inside, but however the ingredients arrive to the witch, whether they were grown or purchased or um, you know, purchased from a grocery store, purchased from a farmer directly. However, it's brought into the kitchen, which is life. There is this honoring of their, the nutritional value, the nourishment and the magical qualities of that food. Now, many kitchen witches prefer to make everything from scratch and avoid buying processed and prepackaged foods whenever possible. But that doesn't mean that you can't use prepackaged foods or processed foods in a kitchen witchcraft practice. The reason that many witches, kitchen witches tend to like to make things from scratch is because of this idea that the ingredients are as close to the earth as possible. So the original source of nourishment is close to the earth. But again, that doesn't mean that those processed foods can't be incorporated into a kitchen witchcraft practice. The process of cooking and growing or collecting the ingredients, preparing them to cook through slicing or um, blending or, or uh, chopping or whatever you do to prepare them, and the actual cooking process, as well as the cleanup after the meal, these are all considered part of the ritual of cooking, of uh, kitchen witchcraft, and it's not a chore. So you kind of shift your mindset around, uh, around what you're doing instead of this being like a chore, something you have to do. It's something that you enjoy doing and you do because of the nourishment that you're bringing your body and the magical transformation that you can expect through making these magical meals. And then the eating of the food, of course, is also part of that ritual. That was a clip from episode nine about kitchen witchery. We expanded on this topic inside of Mumbles Academy, and we talked a little bit more. We went deeper into this concept of kitchen witchery through this structure of the principles of magic. So if you're interested in going deeper even than episode nine about kitchen witchery, then 
join us in Mumbles Academy and check out that masterclass. Then in episode 10, the episode was all about keeping a grimoire and why you might want to keep a grimoire. So a grimoire is a book of magical information that a witch keeps based on what is important to, to that witch. So I'll pay, play you a clip from that episode now. So maybe you have a library of witch books or you've checked out a library of witch books from the library, um, but you can never really seem to find exactly what you need when you need it especially when you're in a hurry or feeling kind of rushed. So you have all these books and all these resources, but you you have so many pages to go through and you can't always remember exactly where you learned something. Or maybe um, maybe you've taken like trainings online or maybe your metaphysical shop has trainings and you have gone to these to develop your witchcraft skills and to learn more about practicing witchcraft and you probably took notes but you don't remember where they are they're in your pile of notebooks of all the different things that you've taken notes on or maybe you are used to going to Google to ask your questions and you're always met with all these different conflicting information. So one blog post will say one thing and then another article will tell you something else and you never really know which one is the right answer to your question. Um, and then another scenario that you might have come across is going into Facebook groups and asking a question and being met with like hostility and judgment for not knowing it, as if we all come out of the womb knowing everything there is to know about witchcraft. Can you relate to any of these scenarios? Has any of this happened to you before? Because I think it's pretty common that we we all kind of have had those experiences. I certainly have had all of these. That's how I know <laughs> I can at least relate to it. Um, but without this sort of, without a plan for your witchcraft practice where you're organizing your magical information and you um, know exactly where to find some things, you will always be met with confusion. You'll always find yourself in this state of confusion because you don't know what you believe in. You haven't uh, organized the information that you believe in, in your, for your witchcraft practice and so you're always going to be in this state of researching and learning and searching. But there's good news, you can create a magical system, an organization system for your magical practice, and when you do, you will always know exactly what you need to know, when you need to know it, and you'll know where to find it because you've organized it in a way that makes sense to you. And and be, and that's really because your witchcraft practice is unique because you are unique. So what you what matters to you and what you care about is is the most important thing for your witchcraft practice for how you're going to um, feel successful and be able to manifest what you actually want. And in order to have this organization system and understand what your goals are towards your witchcraft practice and what you actually want, you need a grimoire. <laughs> All right, so that was episode 10. A little hint of what you can expect to find if you listen to that episode. And I also wanted to remind you of the Organizing Your Grimoire e-course in Mumbles Academy. So if you are feeling lost about what to do with your grimoire, how to make it actually usable and practical to you so that you can find the information you need when you need it, then you might want to join us in Mumbles Academy. We have a course called Organizing Your Grimoire, and this is all about helping you to figure out an organization system 
for keeping your magical information easy, easy to access, easy to use, and right at your fingertips. So let's move on to episode 11, where we talked about time and its relation to magic. So I started off in that episode about how to make time for your magic, but I also went into the importance of inconsistency and why listening to your body and paying attention to the flow of your own energy is really important for your magical health, as well as your physical and emotional and spiritual health. So I'll play you a clip now. I think one of my most popular blog posts is actually about how to make more time for magic. And in that, I share all of these different tips um, that that blog post turned into a course, which kind of expands on all of those tips. And that's a free course in Mumbles Academy as well. In there, I share this routine that is, I I talk about how routine is vital to witchcraft, um, to practicing witchcraft, uh, to make sure that you're regular and consistent. And, And like I said, I'll share some of those tips here. I'll link to the course and to the blog post that you can read about it. Um... And that's kind of why I wanted to take this opportunity to talk more about the other side of that, the inconsistency, and how that is also important to witchcraft. So it's how can you, you know, how can you be both? How can you be both consistent and inconsistent? Um, So maybe it's more accurate to say that you're actually doing your best. So there's that, uh, the four agreements where the fourth one is to always do your best and that your best changes from day to day and from minute to minute even. So in one moment, your best may be um, just whatever your ideal version of your witchcraft practice is, and in the next, you might not even be able to get out of bed. And that's just normal um, in the way that our energy fluctuates and in the way our magic fluctuates. And so recognizing that whatever you're doing, you're doing the very best you can with what you have available to you, with whatever energy you have, with with whatever time you have, with whatever money you have, all of these resources that we need, um, and that you're doing your best with what you can do <laughs> in your practice. And so, you know, if you if you get stressed out, or if you have conflicts like with the people in your life, maybe co-workers or your partner or your boss or your friends or um, anybody, your children. If you have these conflicts, if you're stressed out, if you're not getting enough sleep, all of this stuff is going to be disruptive to your life and, um, and to your routine in general. So of course that stuff is also going to influence your energy, your, your magical energy that flows and make it difficult to maintain that practice because you have these other things on your mind. Now, if you are interested in learning more about um, making time for magic, there's a free course in Mumbles Academy for making more time for your magic and finding a structure that works for you. So check out the show notes for information about how to access that free course. And let's move on to episode 12, which was about working with your chakra system, your energy points throughout your body. And we also talked about the importance of being really respectful when you're learning about different practices that are often incorporated into various types of witchcraft. So the this idea of cultural appropriation came up in that episode. So let me just play you a clip from that episode and you can get a sense of what we talked about. 
something that I really enjoy about witchcraft, and I think a lot of people really enjoy, it's one of the greatest things about witchcraft, is that you have a freedom to sort of create your own spiritual practice, or even a religion if you want. Um, there's this freedom to explore a variety of cultures and learn from all of these different teachers and incorporate them into your own unique understanding of the world and your own unique spiritual practice. I do think that it's really important to be super respectful as you are collecting different practices from different cultures and teachings. One rule to follow, witchcraft doesn't really have rules, but I think to be a good human, a good rule to follow is to only borrow practices and traditions from open cultures. So an open culture simply means that there are no requirements for you to fulfill before you can engage in that practice or in that culture. Um, there, you don't have to be part of that cultural group or you don't need to go through some sort of initiation. So as you're exploring different practices, make sure that anything that you're engaging with is open. So for the most part, the concept of an energy system with energy points throughout the body comes from open cultures. The chakra system that we are talking about and focusing on today is an Eastern philosophy that originated in India between 1500 and 500 BCE. And since chakras are universal, they're found in every being, every living being, when you work with part of your own body and your own energy field, it's usually not considered appropriation. However, there's always the chance that you might encounter someone who believes that the way that you are engaging in chakra work or energy work is cultural appropriation rather than appreciation of that culture. And if this does happen, then that's an opportunity to learn more, to go deeper with your understanding, because the best way to appreciate a culture and to engage with it is to be willing to continue to learn, to continue to explore it, and to dedicate yourself to really understanding what you're learning. Now, if you go to the show notes for this episode, Mumbles and Things, dot com slash blog slash zero one nine you will find some links to some resources about cultural appropriation what it really means and how it relates to witchcraft you'll also find some resources for going deeper into your to learning about the chakra systems in episode 13 we talked about glamour magic and how you can use glamour magic to change the way that other people perceive you or perceive something else, some thing or some place in a way that you want them to. So let me just play a clip from that episode now. A glamour is an illusion. In essence, it's illusion magic, not in the same way that like stage ma magicians use illusion. It's how we can change the way that someone perceives us. So it changes the way someone's senses are detecting the world. So you can change your own, the way that you perceive your own senses. You can also use glamour to change the way someone perceives you using their senses. And it's not just about those five main senses. It's not just sight. It's not just sound and taste and touch and smell. It can be all of these different senses. So glamour can affect your sense of, glamour magic can affect your sense of direction. It can 
change your perception of time, so how time is flowing. You can use glamour to change the way that you perceive your emotions or someone else perceives their emotions. You can use glamour to change your beliefs, to change how you perceive your beliefs, and this can be a really good tool for um, getting rid of some limiting beliefs that are holding you back as well. And it can change impressions, so any sort of Per perceived impression. You can change the way that you perceive it. It can change how you perceive hunger and thirst. It can change how you perceive lust and love and temperature and how you feel pain. Um, all of these different senses, fatigue, anything that you can experience, you can use glamour to change the way that you perceive those senses. Now, I want to reiterate that it's not that glamour magic is not about changing the physical, you're not making physical changes. So that's what you see in pop culture is these physical changes that, <laughs> that like a witch will change exactly how she looks so she's someone completely different. We are talking about um, the real world version of this where we can change the way that people perceive us and not on a physical level, on a mental, emotional, and spiritual level. So we can use glamour magic in order to help us to embody these traits like self-confidence or bravery or, or boldness or to have more persuasive speech. Um, so all of these different attributes that we want the world to see in us, we can use glamours to have the world perceive us in that way, the way that we want the world to perceive us. Then in Mumbles Academy after this episode, we had a, another masterclass, and in that masterclass, we went deeper into what you can do with glamour magic and some exercises for um, how to think about this form of magic. So, if you want to view the recording of that masterclass, of that um, chat that we had, then join us in Mumbles Academy and you'll be able to see the recording of our chat. And now let's talk about episode 14, which was about different types of dreams. So we talked about four different types of dreams and how they can offer you some intuitive guidance. And this episode actually comes from one of the master classes inside of Mumbles Academy. So this is um, one of the lessons in a course. So I'll give you a, I'll share a clip of that with you right now. I think that dreaming is one of the most common ways for us to tap into our intuition. This is just because everyone dreams. Every single night you dream dreams and you may not remember them, but you are dreaming because it's just a process that your body goes through. And you can learn to remember your dreams through certain exercises and ideas that I'll share with you. But even more importantly, you can learn how to interpret what these dreams actually mean. So. What are your dreams trying to tell you? Because it's one thing to know what your dream is and to remember it, but when you actually start to interpret it, that's where you actually can gain some meaning, you can learn from them, you can use them when you, to help you to make decisions. Dreams give you more information about yourself, who you are as a person, how you deal with situations. They can give you insight into other people in your life, how they are, their, their personality traits and characteristics, how they deal with situations, especially if you're in a problem with them or if you're in a relationship with them. You may even connect with deceased loved ones or your spirit guides through your dreams. 
Dreams can warn you of problems ahead or give you some sort of insight into your future. They offer inspiration and creativity. They help you to solve problems. So paying attention to your dreams really can be helpful in all areas of your life, no matter what you do or don't do in your daily life. All you have to do is learn to pay attention and they do the work for you. Anytime you are dreaming, your subconscious is working throughout your sleep to tap into your psychic abilities. So it's a really good use of time to pay attention to what they're doing because that's a good chunk of time that you're asleep and dreaming. Personally, I love dreams. I look forward to going to sleep because I get to dream. I like to see what's going to unfold for me each night. And in the beginning of trying to learn about psychic abilities and develop these psychic abilities for myself, my dreams were kind of the doorway into that world, tapping into my intuition and my inner wisdom. And if you want to hear the rest of that course, if you want to finish that course and get all the information about how to interpret your dreams, then join us in Mumbles Academy and you can access these lessons there. Then we went on to episode 15 and in that episode we began to talk about how to use crystals in witchcraft. So let me play a clip of that episode for you now. That's why we want to use crystals to have this physical representation of our purpose and of different spiritual entities that we want to work with. So I also wanted to talk about these different words that we use, crystals and rocks and stones and minerals. And I tend to use the word crystal to be like an all-encompassing word. I like the word crystal. It sounds pretty and mystical and magical. It's not super accurate to call, call certain things crystals because a crystal is a very specific um, thing, which I'll tell you. But uh, I just do it for simplicity so that I'm not saying like crystals and rocks and minerals every single time I want to say something. And like I said, I just like the way crystals sounds better than rocks. <laughs> but you can, if you want to be more um, accurate or precise with your speech, then of course, you know, use the proper words. But yeah, crystals is not technically what some of these things that we talk about, like um, certain stones like jasper isn't always a crystal. Or, and things like that, but I might lump it in with a list of crystals. So a crystal, by definition, is very organized. So it has this very specific pattern and structure inside of its uh, you know, molecular makeup. So it's made up of these atoms and molecules that repeat in a pattern. And there's several different types of crystal structures, and they all have different uses. So you can kind of look into that crystal structure by going into geology books and things like that and learn how you might be able to apply that crystal to a certain magical working. So like I said, I use the word crystal as sort of a collective term for all of these, for minerals, for rocks, for stones, for gemstones. I'll just use the word crystal. I like the way it sounds. Um, but I just wanted you to know that, that there are differences and that it's not very, it's not specific to use the word crystal for all of these things. Um, but yeah, witches use all of these different materials for, for all of our magical purposes. So um, I just wanted to give you that information. So it doesn't change how you use it. If it's a geode or a crystal or if it's a gemstone that's been cut or polished or if it's a rock that's two different minerals fused together, uh, it doesn't change how it's used in witchcraft. You can use them all 
in similar ways. Uh, obviously, they have different purposes that you would use them for, but the way that you, the, the general way, like whether you're putting it around your house or um, in working with it in the bath, it doesn't matter if it's a crystal or a rock, you know, it, that's all I'm trying to say. And you're probably not surprised to hear that we have a masterclass on how to use crystals in witchcraft that goes deeper than this episode inside of Mumbles Academy. So, you know, you can learn even more, especially about using crystal grids, which I know a lot of people are interested in. So if you want to go deeper into how to use crystals in your witchcraft practice, then join us in Mumbles Academy and learn all about it. In episode 16, we kind of did a two-part series of how to use herbs in your witchcraft practice. So kind of on the heels of the how to use crystals in your witchcraft practice. And I will play you a clip of that one as well. I use the word herb, and many witches do as well, to be an all-encompassing umbrella term for different types of plants as well as different plant parts. Things like trees, which are single-stemmed plants. I mean, you all know what a tree is, but <laughs> single-stem, woody material, high-branching part, so the branches are high above the ground. Um, and then a shrub, which is many stems, woody, and tend to stay lower to the ground, so they don't branch as high up in, this, in the sky, in the air. And then again, it's an herb also covers like the bark of a tree and or shrub would be considered an herb in terms of witchcraft. So cinnamon is the bark of a tree, the seeds of a fruit or the actual fruit, the flowering body, so the, the flower part like chamomile as an, an example or lavender, you use the flowering part, um, the leaves, which is when you think of herb in a culinary term, herbs are tend to be the leaf part. So like fla uh, parsley or basil or rosemary or thyme, those, you all, those are all considered herbs in a culinary sense and they are the leaves. But also the roots of the plant are used, are called, considered herbs in witchcraft. So uh, if you use potatoes in something like kitchen witchery, or if you use, let's see, mandrake or ginger, those are all a roots um, part that we are most likely used. And the stems as well are part of the herb thing and any adaptation. So some plants, all plants have stem, root, um, flower, leaves, but some plants have these adaptations. So a spine on like a cactus, which can be used for protection um, because that's what it's used for in the plant. It's an adapted leaf. So the spine is actually the leaf of the cactus. Um, and then things like tubers, like I mentioned before, potatoes, that's an adaptation where the plant is storing energy in there. So potato is a really good example of something to use in an energy spell because that is the purpose of it in the plant. And that's a really good way to figure out what, um, what to use these different plant parts for is how the plant used it. What was it used for in the plant? And that's how you can incorporate it into your magic as well. Um, so... Those are, all of those things are incorporated into this umbrella term, herb. And there is also a masterclass on using herbs in witchcraft in Mumbles Academy. There's actually two chapters in my book, Practical Magic for Beginners, about using herbs for both magical purposes and for healing purposes. So join us in Mumbles Academy, learn about herbs there, or get my book from Amazon 
or anywhere else that you can find books to learn about herbs in that format as well. In episode 17, I went on to share with you some ways to use the lunar cycle as a structure for your magical practice because the lunar cycle is a cycle. It repeats itself. And so if I'll play you a clip from that episode now. So the first and probably the simplest way to follow the lunar cycle is to simply pay attention to when the moon is waxing or getting bigger, growing, and when the moon is waning or shrinking, getting smaller. And then in that, there's two turning points. The new moon, where the moon changes from shrinking to growing, and the full moon, where the moon changes from growing to shrinking. And this is really simple because when the moon is getting larger, you can think about your magic in terms of growth attraction, and increase. You can ask yourself what you want to draw more of into your life. Think about what you want to nurture in your personality to encourage it to become stronger. And so the waxing half of the cycle begins as this barely detectable sliver at the new moon, and over the next few days that sliver grows during the crescent moon phase. The midpoint is when we see the half moon or the first quarter moon or waxing half moon, different names for the same thing. This is when the illuminated half is on the right side of the moon and the shadowed half is on the left. There's the waxing gibbous phase. It is named for this bulging appearance of the moon. It's continuing to grow towards that fully illuminated circle that we call the full moon. And then we have the waning half of the cycle, which begins just after the full moon or at the full moon. And during the waning half, you simply think about magic that is declining or banishing and releasing. So what are things that are holding you back? What can you let go of? What in your life is causing you pain or challenging you? What sort of obstacles do you need to remove? So there is the waning gibbous moon that occurs right after the full moon, and then the waning half moon or the third quarter moon, that is when the light half of the moon is on the left side of the moon and the shadowed half is on the right, and then more and more of the moon is covered in shadow as it wanes back to a crescent moon and finally disappears into the dark days. So then there's this window of time before the moon is visible again. And that's, as I said, the dark days. And the cycle begins again when the sliver of moon returns. A major part of this episode, 17, was sharing a big announcement about some changes that are coming to Mumbles Academy for the 2021 year and into the foreseeable future. And that is that I am merging two of my big programs, The Moon Circle and Mumbles Academy, and create and using that as sort of the structure of Mumbles Academy. I have found that balancing the solar cycle and the lunar cycle is really important to my practice. And so having them separate seemed weird to me. And so I'm really excited to have these two different wheels, the lunar wheel and the solar wheel, and merging them together into one Mumbles Academy program. So if you want to have 
this Moon Circle experience as a member of Mumbles Academy, then I highly recommend that you join us before Yule of 2020 because the price is going to be increasing after that date because that is when the merge is happening. So two programs for the price of one and um, that's happening very soon. So I hope to see you join us. Now let's move on to the final episode of season two before this one, of course which was all about three witchy books that changed my life. So that was just last week. I shared one book that I don't recommend anyone read and one book that I do recommend people read. And the final book that I recommended was my own. So let me share a clip from that episode where I talk a little bit about how writing my book changed my life. I wrote the book, this book, Practical Magic for Beginners, in about three months at the beginning of 2020, which sounds really intense, and it was. It was a challenge for me to fill this deadline for a variety of reasons. So my grandparents on my mom's side both passed away in the midst of writing this book. My grandfather, who I call Poppy, um, actually passed away right before I agreed to write this book. I had just been offered the opportunity and then he passed away and so it was kind of hard time to decide whether it was the right time to pursue this project and then soon after my grandmother who I call Anna also passed away and um, that was just right before I completed it but this did cause some depression for me and I was and I had a hard time keeping up with the demands of writing the book, but my publisher was very understanding. And I felt that my grandparents were continuing to guide me even when they were no longer around on the physical plane. I could still sense them. And then right after this, the world was hit with the COVID-19 pandemic. And right now as I'm recording this, we are still being affected by this pandemic. And I know that many people found that they had more time due to this change of circumstances. But I've always worked at home, so there wasn't really a change in my schedule. Um, it didn't really affect how much time I had. In reality, what happened because of this was that I learned that I have ADHD, which had been dormant or had been unnoticed up until this point because I didn't have the same ability to access my regular coping mechanisms that helped me to keep these things under control, these symptoms of ADHD under control. So I didn't have the outdoor activities or the exercise. I didn't have access to coffee and tea shops that helped me to focus through this process. Body doubling, when you have other people around who are also working, it helps you to work as well. I didn't have restaurants, which I really enjoyed going to, um, and I didn't have a chance to travel to see my friends and family with my husband. That's something that we really like to do. So without these coping mechanisms, I became really aware of this disorder that I hadn't seen in myself before, which made it really hard to focus on writing a book in such a short time period. Um, and so writing, which had never really been hard for me in the past, became almost impossible, and I kept um, procrastinating because of it. But my husband, Dana, really helped. He picked up so much of the slack, especially around the house, doing things that I wasn't able to do anymore, and he became my biggest cheerleader. So I was able to accomplish something that I had 
always had floating in the back of my mind that I wanted to write a book about witchcraft and now it is complete. I also had the support of my extensive family and friends. They all reminded me to celebrate and also to rest, to learn and to go with the flow, which are all things that I struggle with. And now it is September after all of this time. It is finally available for pre-order and I've seen so many people already pre-ordering and preparing to review it and support me in so many different ways. And so September 29th, if you're listening to this as the podcasts come out, that's when the book will be shipped out to people, the physical copy. And anyone who is interested in learning about witchcraft and mysticism will be able to hold my book in their hands and read my words, which is really a dream come true. Now, my book, Practical Magic for Beginners, is still available for pre-order through September 29th, which is its release date. That's when it will be delivered to people who have pre-ordered. So if you pre-order, this really helps to... It helps for my book to succeed. It's all about the algorithms and things like that. So if you are interested in this book and you want to support me in another way, then please go to Amazon, go to the show notes, get the link to pre-order your book, your copy of the book, and I will be so appreciative. So that is a recap of season two. And in our next episode we are going to be talking about how to celebrate Mabin, which is the fall equinox. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast so that you are notified every time I put out a new episode. And please leave a five-star review. This feels to me like getting a gold star on my paper, and it makes me feel so good. So please leave me a review. This also helps other witches to find this show, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Mumbles and Things. Join us in the Mumbles and Things Facebook group to talk about this episode and other episodes with other witchy folks. Go to talkwitchcraft.com. Wait, don't go yet. Thanks for listening to Talk Witchcraft with me, Maggie. If you've enjoyed this episode, I invite you to check out mumblesacademy.com. Mumbles Academy is the place to be for intuitive souls at any stage of their witch path. Whether you are a wildling at the very beginning of your witchcraft journey and are looking for a safe learning environment, a creator who is committed to your practice and wants to develop your witchcraft skills even more, or a sage who is full of wisdom already and wants to share what you know with others, Mumbles Academy was designed for you. With monthly masterclasses and live Q&As, an extensive archive of courses and trainings, and a supportive community to help you along the way with encouragement and advice, Mumbles Academy is the perfect place for you to be as you continue on your witch path.